Well, we've been in a series now for uh, several weeks, and we're bringing it down to a conclusion. It's called Blessings. Remember, we've been talking about what it, the blood covenant, and that's the instructions that we've been in for a good season here. And last week, we laid the foundation, or began to lay the foundation, of what it means for us to live in and under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ, and how... What are we to be doing? You, you remember we talked that by the selection of God, Israel is going to be returned as his bride. And we, the church, got to be grafted into that, that branch or that vine so that we too, Gentiles, now can come into the kingdom of God and be a part of this bride. So if we are the bride... And we're waiting for the groom to return. That's the season we're in. We've been waiting now for a little over 2,000 years from our perspective. But you do remember that with God, a 1,000 years is like a day. And a day is like a 1,000 years. So uh, for the Lord to be gone, in his, from his perspective, it's probably a couple of days. But we also know that when he went away... He went away to do something very specific, to prepare a place for us. Remember, the groom goes away to prepare the room, the kupa, if you will, the Hebrew word kupa, to prepare a place for us so that when he comes back for the bride, we'll get to go and be with him. He said this in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, don't let your hearts be troubled, during this waiting season. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I'd go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. We have this promise. He's going to come back. For the bride. And then we have some instructions that we find in 2 Peter. If you'll take the Bible, take your Bible and go to 2 Peter. We're going to look at the same set of verses that we looked at last week because we just barely got started into what Peter says we are to be doing during these days as we prepare for the Lord's return. So you go to 2 Peter. And we're going to look at chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And if you will, let's stand together as we read God's Word. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises. So that through them, what? The precious promises... You may, we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And remember, that's where we got to last week. You got to have, you got to start with faith. And then when you have a position of faith, you add to that godliness, goodness, excuse me. And to goodness, you add knowledge. 
and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you on this day to take your word and let it come alive to us. I pray that through the power of your spirit, you said that you would be the one that would lead us into all truth. So I pray, Lord, as we look at your word together this morning, that your spirit will begin to speak to each heart and each mind that is here. Give us the eyes that we need to be able to see and give us the ears of our spirit to understand what you're saying so that we may, might be found faithful, watching, and prepared for the day that you return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, you remember, we, it, all of this waiting that we're doing right now starts with a condition of faith. If you'll remember, we said there were three types of faith, three basic types of faith. There's no faith, and that is the position that we, we don't really believe God, and we sure, certainly do not believe His Word. So there's a foundation or a belief system that, I don't believe this. I don't believe what He says. I don't believe the message about Him. And those are the ones that might speak the concept of that it's just a crush, crutch for the weak. <clears throat> so it's a no-faith position. And when we have no faith, it does not believe in God and it does not believe in the Word. We found out that the results of that is when trial hits. Like some of the worship people said this morning, <clears throat> that trials come whether you're in the kingdom or outside of the kingdom. The scripture tells us that in this life, difficulties is going to come, are going to come at different times. So if you are without faith, usually one of the first things that happens is you get mad at the one you don't believe in. Have you ever noticed that? We don't believe in him, but because this is going bad, I'm mad at God. Well, what, do you, what is it you don't believe? Well, it is a faith. I've always said the greatest level of faith I've ever known is an atheist. That's the biggest faith I've ever known, to believe there is no God. That takes a lot of faith and stupidity, but a lot of faith. And remember, without any foundation of faith, fear will control us. Because it's just all up in the air. It's just happenstance, it's, it, whether it's good or bad. And it also creates, creates a sickness of our soul. And it makes us, Scripture says, unstable in all of our ways when we don't have that belief. Then we found out that there is a little faith. We looked at some passages to deal with that. This is the faith that believes God is good, but we're not really sure that His promises are still true. We're not really sure that those are for us. So there's a little question in there. There's a little doubt in there. But the good news about that, remember the Lord says if you have little faith. Now remember, this is little faith. You can say to the mountain, move. And it'll move out of your way. It'll move cast into the sea. And we saw that last week. It was not, Lord, move this for us. He said even if you have a little faith, you can speak and have that thing move out of your way. 
That would be impressive, wouldn't it? That's just little faith. And then there's this uh, third kind of faith. It believes that God is good. It believes that his word is sure without any chance of failure. No matter what you hear, no matter what you see that looks contrary to that, it's a radical position that many will make fun of you for having. Even within the church, they might make fun of you for being the person that says, God's word says this, that is his will, that's what is going to be accomplished. And we might be saying that right in the midst of a challenge that's blowing us out of the water. But it's a faith that is tenacious. And that we have that, and all of our hope at that point is found in Jesus. Not our circumstance, but what his word says and who he is. It's a powerful faith. It tenaciously holds on to God's word. Even if you're in the boat and the storm is raging and water's about to swamp you, it is the kind of faith that says our God will see us through. Our God is able. Our God is capable. And our God, we can even wake him up in the boat and all he has to say, I love this, all he has to say is peace. Be still. And the wind and the waves, all of creation, obeys him in an instant. How big is our God? You know, I've thought, I don't care how big he is in your concept, it's not even close to what he is. This God, he, he gave us some understanding by sending his son Jesus in the confines of flesh to live here. And through him, we get to see the character, the heart, and the nature of God. And we got to see him in fleshly form do these actions that required, I think is probably great faith on his behalf, when he would just simply either take mud and put it on somebody's eye. And he said, wash that off and you'll see. Go dip in that river And on that seventh time, when you come out, you will no longer have this disease. Jesus had all of this uh, miraculous power because he had great faith. He knew who his father was. He was trustworthy. In this environment, consider where we are. No faith, little faith, or great faith. What stands against the revealed will of God? What can stand against the will of God? Nothing can, especially for those of us who, he says, upon faith, you're going to start adding some things. But we should continually push from, whether it no faith or little faith, I would love to see us become more and more radically convinced in the power of Jesus and the power of this word to be truth, And to be fulfilled in its completion. Every promise is true. I'd really like for us to become more and more convinced about what he says. Now I know all the reasons why we shouldn't or can't. Because all those crazy TV evangelists doing this and that. And what I'm saying is quit looking at anybody else. I don't even care. First of all, if we're looking at somebody else like that, we're in mess. But I'm saying you look to Jesus. He's the one. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. Yes? 
So we look to him and say, what, did, what, will, what would Jesus do in this situation where that marriage is failing? What are we going to do in this situation where this person has lost all hope? And we've had some of that this week. person lost all hope in the midst of that. And what do we do? Well, what would Jesus do? You know, like the old bracelet kind of wore out that saying, but it's true. What would we trust God to do in every one of these situations? Is he able or is he not? And the Lord just said, once, even if you have the faith this big, mustard seed, little faith, I'm overwhelmed by this thought, but you can say, you can say, mountain move and it'll be cast in the sea. I think we have a ways to go, don't you? But I don't want you to be settled for, for where you are. I don't want you to let me ever settle for where I am. Because we'll be dealing with something and I might be in my scared condition, my, my faithless worry. I would love for you to come and say to me, we can't worry like this because God's word says this. This is our position. This is where we stand. I want you to do that for me and I hope I'm found faithful doing that for you. When that storm hits your boat, I want you to know all we got to hear Jesus say, peace, be still. It's that quick. It's that powerful, the word. To this thing, whatever your level of faith is, no little or great, he says, add goodness. The next thing you're going to add on top of this unbendable, tenacious faith is the concept of goodness. The Living Bible says it like this. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. To this belief system, add this generous dose of just goodness, being good. I brag on you everywhere I go. And I'm not blowing smoke. I'm telling you the truth. I brag on you everywhere I go. You know what I, the two words I use? These are the kindest and should be goodest but that doesn't seem to work all the teachers just went what but just a good hearted people with kindness and you are and I give a tribute to your, your pastors before and your great shepherd the Lord but it is true in this goodness means a deep rooted goodness with a stress that's on kindness the goodness that is that you're to add to your faith is this un, undying kindness and I love the way Hamlin loves people I love the way you receive people because it, it's with a goodness a general goodness I have to say this to folks now you're going to come in these people are going to overwhelm you a little bit by the way they love on you but it's honest, it's real. We didn't have a program telling them how to be good. That's just, it's just the spirit of Christ within them. When you hear the quality of goodness, I want right now you to think of a person that you know that you would define as good in your life. Pick somebody out. When you see them, when you're around them, goodness comes to mind. Now, don't say the name of the person, 
but tell me what, what tells you that they're good. What quality or character do you see? Names, yell at. They're honest, they're full of love. What? Say it one more time. Hardworking. Moral. What? Gentle. Yes, patient. Humble. Generous. These are, this is a goodness in a person. What do you see? Yeah. What they say is what they do. They're very honest. Yes. What was that? Caring. Got it. Loving. Well, these are some of the characteristics of that person that you know that, is, that you see as good. And that's all wrapped up into that. Another word that the scripture used for goodness is virtue. And virtue uh, is sometimes used in, in place of the word goodness in scripture. And it, but this one has a little bit of a different mindset to it. It's, these are gifts and talents that you've been given. Where you are to take the talent or the gifting, the calling of God, and you're to practice it, you're to study it, you're to use it for the advancement of his kingdom. You might be a teacher, you might be an administrator. Uh, all of the gifts are, are within this body. This body is not lacking any gift to make anything that the Lord wants to accomplish can happen through you. But it takes the willingness to use what he's given us to give back. I've seen this uh, over the years. There'll be times when a, we'll know of a family situation. Hamlin does this as well. We do it sometimes a little more hidden ways. But in the past, there'll be some, a family in the midst of a crisis, a major job loss, a major sickness or something and the Lord will either prompt me or somebody within the church and they'll come and say, can we do something today to bless this family? Can we do something? And a lot of times we just take an offering plate and put it just right on the front and just say, if the Lord inspires you and you want to take care of this need, I've done this, I don't know, I mean, hundred, bunch of times. And I watch as people get up and they want to be a part of meeting this need. And they'll bring, whether it's a, some change or some big bills, and, and they fill that plate up. And of all of the times that we've done that in the past, I always ask the guys, would you go count that and then come and tell me how much that is? And it is almost always exactly the, the need that that, we never say the amount of the need. Get, can we meet this need for this family? And is almost always the exactly the amount or a little bit more than the amount to meet the need. To me, that is a, a, the work of God. I watch people that I know did not have extra money. Every time that happened, they'll get out of their chair and walk down there and put money in that plate. That's goodness. That comes from a deep place of their heart to sacrifice to meet somebody else's need. So you're going to have to have, listen, you're going to have to have some kind of a faith foundation. How strong is yours? And it's not faith in your faith, it's faith in your God. Then you add on top of that this concept of goodness and virtue. And then you add the third thing that we found that uh, we saw in this passage is knowledge. 
If you know me, if you've been around me much, I, one of my favorite verses of Scripture is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And it says this, Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll be able to test and prove what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. If we understand what the Scripture is saying here, you've got to have faith in the Lord, tenacious. You've got to have upon that a character that's good, good-hearted. You probably have even, even may know some folks who claim the name of Christ, but they're not good. You know what I'm talking about? There's just a... There's not a goodness in them. There's a hardness, a meanness. No, he said, no, you've got to add goodness on top of your faith. And then on top of that, you're going to have to transform the way you think because you have been conformed to the image of this world. Whether you know it or not, you have been because you've been trained in this world system. And the Lord is saying you're going to have to get rid of that. Don't be conformed, and that's a pressure from the outside like if you had some kind of a paper or can and you crushed it. It says, stop being pressured into an image from the outside, but be transformed, metamorphosis, from the inside by the knowledge of God's Word. That's how you add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Why? So that you can know what God's good and pleasing and perfect will is in every situation. You're not winging it. You're not using it based upon your judgment, what's right or wrong. You know what God's word says about it. That becomes your position on it. So we add to all of that knowledge. I'm currently reading a book called Who Switched Off My Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf. And there was a part in there where she wrote, and I I wrote this down because I wanted you to hear what she said. Research is now certain that around 87% of all illnesses can be attributed to our thought life. 87% of our illnesses can be attributed to our thought life. And approximately 13% to our diet, to genetics, and to the environment. Studies conclusively link more chronic diseases to an epidemic of toxic emotions in our culture. Hmm. What if we could get these thoughts that war within us so often, and you're, you have that war too, you're, you're like the rest of us. But what if you could bring those thoughts, and the scripture says you bring them captive. Get a hold of them and bring them captive to God's word. When that occurs, we'll be able to be, bring to our minds, instead of living, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many have trouble sleeping because you're worried? How many of you live, how, what percentage of your life is anxious? You just worry, and if, you're, if you don't have something to be worried about, you worry about not having something to be worried about. You know what I'm talking about? You just get, you live in that state of worry and anxiety and stress. Well, this doctor says 87% of our sicknesses result back to our thoughts. 
Okay, what do we do with it? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. You know it, but I'm going to read it to you. The weapons that we fight with, what? The spiritual warfare. And guess where spiritual warfare happens? Right here. It's right between your ears. That's where your spiritual warfare occurs. So, the weapons that we fight with are not carnal, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, listen, they have divine power to do what? Demolish strongholds. Many of us thought that was something out here. No, these strongholds are here. They have the power to... um, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. There are three things in there that have to be overcome. I'm going to look at them in just a moment real quickly, but three things. Then he says this, we take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Bring your thought captive. In obedience to Christ. I believe there's neurological diseases. I believe there is folks on uh, nerve kind of medicines. I believe that you've been, there have been diagnoses of different things that may go back all the way to a toxic mind and a toxic thoughts life. What would happen if we took that seriously? And we actually did the discipline. Do you understand to be a follower of Jesus Christ means to be a disciple? And the word disciple comes from the word discipline. So we can't be passive. If you want to get well, this is not a passive thing. Matter of fact, it may be one of the hardest things you ever do is to bring your thought and bring it captive and say, no, my my mind's too little to be left out there running alone on its own. I need to bring it captive and then discipline it to what God's word says. It's not easy. Some of you will take this challenge. And if you do, you may begin to see the diagnosis start going away. If you bring your thoughts captive to the word of God. Faith, fear begins to go. Faith begins to well up. Your hope is not in this or that or this or that. It's in him and him alone and his word. And peace begins to settle right where the storm was all going on. You hear the words of the Lord, peace be still. Trust me. I'm wondering how much we could save money on your medical bills. If we actually took this word seriously. What did it say? Three things that we have to do if we want to get this fixed. Strongholds. It says in that passage... We have divine power, listen, to demolish strongholds. What is a stronghold? It is a false belief that has developed in our mind. It is a false belief that has developed in our mind and it has been built upon and built upon and built upon. That's why it's called a stronghold. It has a wall around it with a moat in front of it and you're inside it. It is a huge part of your life. But it is a lie. It is a deception that was planted by the enemy to keep you in your own prison. And in that prison, you will create all kinds of toxins that come from toxins. Every thought, this Dr. Leaf, that's why this book is so interesting. 
Every thought produces its own chemical compounds within the body. And those chemicals will create with us wellness or sickness. That's why they think 87% come from it. So if we begin to bring these thoughts and find out what I kind of love to do, one part of what I get to do is deal with some folks at different times and find out what, where does this stronghold about you, when did it get started, where was the seed planted, and how has it formed in your life, how big is it? And when you begin to identify that in people, do you see that in you, what you believe about you? That's a deception. That's meant for your destruction. That's meant to keep you quiet, sitting in your seat, to be of no impact for the kingdom of God is what that's meant. And that needs to be torn down. And the way you do it, bring your thoughts captive to the word of God. So you have that. You have the strongholds. Then you have arguments. Has God ever told you something and immediately you started arguing with him? Go do this. Think I'm weird, Lord. Somebody else do that today. I want you to go say this word. I want you to go speak to this, this brother or this sister. The Lord has told you today that your hope is found in, in him. And that you're, you're going to be used of his kingdom once you're free of this thing. You'll be free to advance in a, as a powerful warrior in the kingdom. So you let's say that was the word you were to go with. And you didn't because it was, it's a little scary to step out and say something like that. Because more than likely, people are going to think you're just weird. <clears throat> so we started arguing with God. Or you're somewhere buying groceries and a, an elderly lady is trying to get some food for the day and she didn't have enough money so she's having to take stuff out of her basket. And the Lord says, no, you, you take care of that for her. Well, Lord, you know... I don't have a lot of extra money. Lord, you know, I, I have that set aside because I want to get a new golf club or whatever I'm wanting. I wouldn't be a golf club because I am trouble when it comes to golf. So it wouldn't be that. But whatever it is, you know, and the Lord said, no, I want you to take care of that. But we'll argue against him. Now, don't tell me you don't do that. Do you do that? You don't. I told you you're good folks. <clears throat> it says bring every argument captive. Stop arguing with him. He's God. He knows. He knows what you need before you get there. And if he says take that hundred that you got the other day that you didn't know what to do with. And I, I do this most all the time. Put a hundred dollar bill in your pocket. Why? Because the moment God says I need taps you on the shoulder say do this. I want to be quickly obedient to meet that need to the best I can. Why? Because he says, don't argue with him. Bring strongholds, they're demolished. Bring arguments, and then the last one is pretension. That is the false conclusion that I'll take care of this on my own. That's pretension. Realizing that you're trusting in yourself and not God. He says, those three things are the things that turn us into a place of sickness and turns into these toxic things. I'm going to stop, but in these three things, he talked about the issue of have faith. Move at least to the position of little faith so we can say to mountains, be out of the way, move. 
Somebody's looking for a job and they keep running into a, a wall. They can't get around this mountain. They can't find any hope or victory. Then the church, I believe individuals should be able to say, okay, whatever's in your way, move in the name of the Lord so that you might be blessed, that you might be able to find God's will in your life. I know it's a little scary thought, but that's what it said. Move the mountains that people, that's hindering and blocking people. Do you hear me? We are to be mountain-moving people. Add to your faith goodness in everything we do. I want to end with this. Have you ever been uh, skiing, boat skiing? Two. The rest of you stay home most of the time. Have you ever been in a boat and you look behind you in boat and there's a, there's a V that starts coming out behind you? It's called the wake, right? Some of you... Uh, skiers can jump the wake and all that. <clears throat> in your life, you're going down your life, and right behind your life is a wake. Just look back. What's left in your wake? Hurt? Brokenness? Damaged people? Rejection? Trash? Or is in your wake life? Encouragement? People coming to the Lord, being built up in their faith. What's in the wake of your journey? Good news, you may have some trash in your journey. Some broken people. I'm not here to beat you up about it. Here's what I am saying about it. Make a determination. Make you a list of people that are in your wake that are damaged because of your journey. Make a list and then go back to every one of them. And say, I was a mess then and I probably hurt you and would you please forgive me? See, I don't want to go back and do all that. Yeah, you do because you want to be free. And you want to set those folks free. Some of them can't get free because they're broken by you. But if you go and make, and, and make it right, then they can be free. It's not good to look back unless you have an intention to go back and help them and fix them. Because the intention of our life, as we're waiting on the Lord, is to leave in the wake of our life, life and blessing upon everybody we meet. Every life we touch. What's in your wake and what needs to happen? Vicki, could you come? We could talk quite a bit more. There's self-control that we need to deal with. We add that on top of that issue that we talked about. But I, on this day, I want to give you a specific challenge, okay? <clears throat> if you're at a no faith position, very weak, barely a heartbeat, if any kind of a heartbeat of faith, would you take a challenge from me? I'd love for you to take this week and get your Bible or get a Bible from somebody that believes in it and turn to Romans chapter 8 and I'd love you to read that every day this week. Romans chapter 8. And see if something be, doesn't begin to happen inside of you. Where faith might begin to grow. But I encourage you to do that. Now, okay, what if you have, stay with me, what if I had, you have little faith? I would challenge you that considered that you have little faith to go to Malachi chapter 3. Verses 6 through 12. 
the reason I'm doing that, because I believe one of the elemental first steps of beginning to trust the Lord is, begin, is able to do that with our finances. I'm not asking for your money so you don't have to shut it off. I'm saying if you want to grow in your faith, go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 and forward and see what it says, because the Lord says, if you'll test me in this, test me in this first area. I, I don't believe we grow beyond ever until this is found a part of our life. If we'll trust him in our financial area, then I think we'll have a, a growing faith. But until that is tr- tested, do you know why the Lord says, test me in this? You can go ahead. Because, he says, if you'll do this, watch what I'll do. I'll open up a window of heaven and I'll pour out on you blessing. Why would he say that? Because he wants your first action of faith to be able to have the benefit. And a lot of people say, well, I gave a hundred and I don't, I didn't get a hundred back. Well, he says, your shoes won't wear out. Your cars will last long. Your health will be good. I'll pour out blessing. You may not, it may not be in a dollar. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's in an amazing amount. Somebody did something for you or something happened and money comes back to meet needs you did you were in trouble about. But he says, watch, trust me in this, and your faith will take a step. If you want to go from little to begin to go toward great, trust him there in your finances. If you have great faith, I want to hang out with you often and a lot and what I challenge you to do is you get this and you start making a list of what God says he'll do you start making a list of promises that God says he will do you come across a situation wherever it is and you with great faith you take action upon what God says and let's see what God will do add to your faith these things kids I want to be a part of a church like that great faith not because we're great but because we serve a God that is unlimited and he loves us let's stand